Glad you're all here tonight. We are going to be talking about love tonight, a very specific form of love, loving ourselves. And I want to start um, maybe in an unusual place and tell you something that happened when I was about 15 years old. So I'm 15, and my mom takes the Cosmopolitan magazine. Now, I know it's still in publication, but if you kind of remember what it was like in the, in, in the late 60s, kind of trashy, a, a little bit. Is it still? I, for those of you who maybe wander into a beauty salon <laughs> or check it out, some of you were saying, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I happened upon at 15 one of those little quizzes that they have in there, and I think it was titled something like, Do You Love Him Enough? And, right? and it had a series of questions, I suppose, so that you could evaluate on your, your methods and, and wherefores around uh, loving your partner. Well, of course, I read all up on it, and when my mom got home from work, I proceeded to tell her how she could improve things around the house. This was not a good thing. This was not a good thing. But in homage, if you will, to those ideas of, uh, uh, of cosmopolitan surveys, I wrote one myself called, Do I Love Myself Enough? And so I'd like to take this little survey with you. This also, by the way, at the end of the sermon, is going to be your homework. So for those of you who like homework, I've actually printed it up, and we have a few copies out in the lobby. So if you want to take this home and maybe do a little journaling about it. But I kind of want to process it with you all as we go through it. So first of all, do you have a plan for taking care of your body? Our body is an amazing vehicle for doing God's, word, God's work in the world. And you know it deserves to be well taken care of. Do you regularly work out? Do you treat yourself to good foods? Do you do what's necessary to, to treat it truly as the temple of the divine that it is? Do you love yourself enough to treat your body well? Number plan, do you, uh, number two, do you have a plan for nurturing your mind, your emotions, and your spirit? So in addition to treating the outside of you well, do you have a plan for the inside? Do you read uh, material that's spiritually motivating? Do you, do you uh, take care of your, your emotions? Do you, maybe do you see a counselor or a practitioner now and then to check out what's going on on the inside? Do you treat yourself to days that are just fun? Maybe a complete day off with nothing but a little meditation or a walk in the woods. Do you nurture the inside of you? Number three, do you set boundaries? Do you say no to activities that deplete or harm you physically, emotionally, or spiritually? Do you enforce these boundaries? Do you know how to say no? Do you know how to protect yourself in that way? Do you love yourself enough to say no, even to a loved one? Do you speak well about yourself? And, and this is a, both an internal and an external thing. When people offer you compliments, do you take them or do you deflect them? And on the inside of your head, what's going on? Are the little voices saying, good job. What an amazing person you are, Larry. Yeah, if you're like me, maybe not so much. If you're like me, maybe sometimes you're your worst critic. Number five, do you even know what you're feeling? Do you notice when you're not in touch with your feelings or when stress begins to build up? Are you able to detect and act upon the feelings that come your way? Do you know how to usefully and productively process such emotions as, as anger or upset? Number six, 
Do you let yourself off the hook? Do you renegotiate tasks that prove to be awfully difficult? Do you forgive yourself for behaviors or mistakes that have happened in the past? Do you graciously permit yourself to slack off now and then? Or are you a slave driver in your own life? And the last one, do you tolerate frenemies. This was something I learned from a teenager. Does everyone here know what a frenemy is? A frenemy is someone who is very close to you, and yet when you really listen to them, they're here to like drag you down in some way. And I don't think they do it uh, on purpose. In fact, a friend of mine in college, I think she was my frenemy for years before I realized that here was my best friend making my life miserable. And one morning I woke up and I said to myself, I don't think I need to do this anymore. Do you love yourself enough to even notice when the people closest to you are dragging down your ideas, giving you feedback that you're not enough or not good enough? You know, I had planned to start off by asking for a show of hands, saying, who in the audience loves themselves? And I figured everyone would have raised their hand, right? We're in a New Thought Church. We all understand that it is through our own heart, through our own thinking, through our own selves that we make progress in the world. And so to say that I didn't love myself, of course, would be a patently wrong answer. So that was why I decided to go with the quiz. Because I bet in that little quiz... Every single one of us found some room for improvement in the area of self-esteem. Probably every single one of us, whether it's through our self-talk, through whether it's what we tolerate behaviors and other people close to us, whether it's the slave driver ethic that we put on ourselves, each one of us, I think, could probably improve our own idea of ourselves, how we love ourselves and how we treat ourselves. So maybe a story about good self-esteem. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, a beautiful, independent, self-assured princess happened upon a frog as she sat contemplating social issues on the shore of an unpolluted pond in a verdant meadow near her castle. A frog hopped up into the princess's lap and said, Elegant lady, I was once a handsome prince until an evil witch cast a spell upon me. One kiss from you, however, and I will turn back into that handsome young prince. Then, my sweet, we can marry and set up housekeeping in yon castle with my mom. You can preside over the servants, plan the meals, and take care of our children in complete happiness for all time. Well, that night, as the princess reflected on her day, and during dinner, she smiled slightly and remarked to a friend, tasty frog legs, don't you think? (laughs) Now, you might say that's a little extreme. (laughs) We don't necessarily need to eat our frenemies. But I would suggest to you, right... We don't need to look to other people to have a sense of who we are. There is something in us that knows the truth, the the divinity about ourselves. There is a part of us that has always loved ourselves and will always do so, no matter what goes on on the outside. Somewhere in each one of us is that impetus towards self-love, self-expression, 
towards good self-esteem. And I think it is only, I don't know, maybe the belief in what modern society tells us. Sometimes we, we fall into believing what the media says or, the, or those frenemies that are, that are there no matter where we turn with other ideas of how our lives could be or should be. But you know what? Let us be that princess for a moment and just dig in our heels for a minute. When I was a teenager, I never liked being told what to do or what to think. Why did I give that up? <laughs> Maybe this is a call to be teenagers once again and really fight for our own independence. Who cares what the media says we should look like or do or be? Who cares what bosses believe around work ethics? Who, who cares what we were trained to think was accurate and good to be a good wife or a good husband or, or whatever the society may have in its mind for being a good this or a good that? What is good for us as individuals? I know that self-care is involved. I know that self-forgiveness is involved. I know that there is a peace in me that recognizes the goodness of every other person on the planet. And that when I focus on that, I don't go wrong. That when I see God in other people and in myself, then the forms really don't matter. Then it doesn't matter so much how I look or what kind of car I drive or, or what my job is. Then... As I see the divinity in other people, it reflects back on me. And suddenly there's an acceptance in my life, I think. I recognize, yes, I am good enough. Yes, the same divinity that I see in my heroes out in the world, in the, in the people in the, in, and the events that, that call to me, the same divinity that is in them, of course, is right here. God doesn't play favorites. You know, I, there was a time when I had hoped that God would play favorites and that I would be among them, but what I, what I have come to realize is there's a wonderful, wonderful even-handedness in God and that the love that you see outwardly in the world, the, the joy and the confidence that you may see in other people, it's just made up. The same level of love, the same level of confidence, the same level of joy is raining down on us always and forever and to the exact same degree. We do not have to be a, a rock star to think of ourselves as being popular and amazing. We do not have to be Mother Teresa to recognize that the compassion in us is, is strong and powerful. We do not have to be or do anything extraordinary, anything beyond who we are personally, powerfully, to be enough. This is, I think, the promise of, of all Scripture, in a way, is that we are simply enough. Now, I have heard people talk a little bit about, well, I may not love myself that much. You know, I might not treat myself the best, but, but boy, I love my family, right? I, I understand love because I reflect it out to the people that are important to me. I want to disagree with that a little bit. I think that poor self-esteem is a little bit like secondhand smoke. Even if we, no, honestly, even if we have the idea that I may not be worth it, but I'm going to lavish my attentions and love on my children or, or on my friends, 
They're not blind. They see how we treat ourselves. The, the idea that I'm worthless, but, but, but I'm going to give my love to, to this beautiful woman, she can see that if I'm treating myself as worthless, that, that that is my idea of what human beings are worth. And so we cannot, I think, love other people fundamentally and in a way that actually matters in this life unless we can understand it for ourselves. Otherwise, I think we're blowing smoke. Otherwise, the message that other people will be getting is going to be very mixed. It's like, well, she loves me, but look how she treats herself. He, he has this passion for, for his job and other things, but there must be a hollowness in it somehow because look how he behaves and speaks about himself. I also think that self-love is important Because it gives the flag to the world that we're all important. When we know and understand ourselves, when we can stand up straight and say to the world, yes, I'm a, I'm a force to be reckoned with. I may not be the, the smartest person on the planet. I might not be the most charismatic person on the planet. But oh my gosh, there is something unique in me, something powerful in me, something wonderful in me. And when I stand for that and when I stand up for that, it gives everyone permission to do likewise. And especially when it's done with great authenticity. Have, have you met people who, who actually kind of downplay some of their power, whether, whether they be um, high up in the chain in the business world or, or maybe a great leader in the community, and they, they kind of show up as just a regular person? That gives me such a powerful permission to, to be like that, I think, because the corniness is gone. The, the slickness or the false sophistication just isn't there. And I can see that I myself, in my own level of regularity and irregularity, in my, my own little compass of not quite perfect in the world, that I am perfect in my own way. And that's giving me the permission to, to live larger. That's giving me the permission because I love myself and because I can see that in other people. I think it gives us the permission all to play larger, for the planet to heal itself, for each person that comes in contact with this, this circle of authenticity, this circle of, of self-love and power. It gives the planet permission to grow up a little bit to not downplay what we're worth, to, to not downplay or demean one another, but to really stand up for the love and the light and the perfection that we are. Ernest Holmes, you know, we're using this book for the, a few more months now called Love and Law of Ernest Holmes. And so I've been alternating back and forth between some of the spiritual principles or spiritual laws and his discussion on love. And I wanted to share this brief quote with you tonight. He says, if you are making, excuse me, if you are seeking anything that contradicts the principle of love, you are contradicting a universal power which, though it may bring the thing you desire to you, might do you more damage than good. You know, he doesn't warn us very often about the power of cause and effect. And yet here he's doing it. I think what he's trying to say is that our impetus for wanting to change our lives has to be based on love. 
That our desires, if they are based on, on wanting to do something you know, rotten or, or, or something counterproductive, that, that when our motives aren't based in love, then even if we can use the law in some manipulative way to get that better job or that better house or whatever it is, I think he's saying that we're probably not going to enjoy it when we get it because our motives are all wrong. And so when we pray, when we're holding a rich mental equivalent of how we want life to be, when we're, when we're with our friends or, or, or want to move forward in some kind of a project, he's suggesting that we somehow anchor that in our own feelings of love and adequacy, in our own power and in our own strength of, of that force of love that perhaps is at the center of all things. This is how we can move forward by anchoring ourselves in love. Does everyone here know what the idea of an open heart is like? Have you ever done one of those meditations where through the, the process of just breathing inward and outward and, and, and maybe doing a body scan, you suddenly feel the... Uh, just any stresses in your shoulder begin to fade away. You, you have a sense of kind of opening up a little bit like a flower does. That's what the idea of the open heart is to me. And I think that as we open our hearts, it puts us in a position to receive. Now, certainly the idea, I would say, or, the, or, or um, maybe the greatest power of it is opening ourselves to love someone in order to be a better friend, in order to be a better partner, in order to be a better parent. We open our hearts up in order that we can exchange that kind of love, those feelings of intimacy, connection, and closeness. But you know what? The open heart does more than just that. The open heart opens us to give and receive all kinds of things. I don't believe that we can actually give a lovely gift to someone unless our heart is open. When our heart's closed, even if, even if Barb and I exchanged little presents, it would be more like a business transaction unless our hearts are open. Unless we come from that position of, yes, this is love, seeking out love in our, in our business dealings, in our family life, in, in, in how we show up at work, how we show up at church, how we show up for life, unless we do it with the open heart, we're not going to really be attracting what we want. We're going to be attracting other people with a closed heart. We're going to be attracting in business deals and ways of being in the world from people who have hidden who they really are by hardening their hearts. Why do you think our hearts get hardened sometimes? I found a quote of Alan Cohen's that I kind of liked. He said, when you protect yourself from pain, be sure that you do not protect yourself from love. I think most of us, if, if there is a little bit of a shell around our hearts or if in some areas of our lives we do tend to, to, to uh, kind of contract in and, and kind of hold our breath, it's because we've been hurt before. Everyone in this room, I'm sure, has been hurt physically or emotionally at some times in our life. And our initial reaction, of course, is to pull back from it. We don't want to get hurt again, Right. We're not going to do the same things or put ourselves in the same positions that are likely to promote greater harm to us or additional hurting. And yet, and yet, 
much of it was even real to begin with. Can someone really hurt us emotionally? It sure feels like it, doesn't it, when you're snubbed, when a, a friend tells you off, or when a, when a loved one tells a story that seems hurtful, or when someone shouts in anger or suggests that you haven't been honest, or whatever it is. I can think of any number of times in my past when I have felt as though someone was harming me, and yet, can anyone really harm me in that way? I mean, as children, uh, didn't mom tell me that sticks and stones may break my bones, right? Remember that old story? And I, and I guess to a degree she was true. No one can harm that part of me. Well, I guess one person can. When we harden our heart, we, we cover over our ability to love, our ability to receive, our ability to be powerful in the world. It's as though we're going to keep perhaps one of the, the best parts of ourselves encased in amber just to protect it. To protect my, my integrity, to, to protect my love, to protect that, that, that part of me that's just precious and maybe a little tender. I'm not going to tell you who I really am then. I'm just going to wall it up. You see the danger in this, of course. Could it be that we need to risk more? Could it be that for the sake of our own blossoming in this world, for the sake of our own magnificence, for the sake of, of God's true manifestation in me as magnificence, that I may have to take a risk, that I may indeed get hurt again sometime, Well, I'm going to close tonight with a quote and a prayer, but first some homework. So remember our cosmopolitan-style quiz at the beginning. What I would like each one of us to do is really ponder some of the ways that maybe we slight ourselves. I would like each one of us to recognize perhaps that our self-talk is perhaps our worst critic. I'd like each person here, if they can, to maybe do a little bit of journaling around how they might physically treat themselves better, whether it's a, an improved diet or a, a better exercise program, how really we're going to preserve this amazing body temple to, to do and to be and to act for us for a long time. It's one of God's most amazing gifts to us. How... And what can we do to love ourselves enough? Because I think that's the real question. All of us love ourselves. I doubt that there's a person here that doesn't have some love and affection for, for their own selves, what they've done in life, or for how they've shown up in certain circumstances. But I also know, I also know that everyone in this room, including myself, could love ourselves a little more could show up as the divinity that we are. So I'm going to close with a, a final quote from Ernest Holmes and a prayer. You will find that your word has the amount of power and the amount of intelligence that you put into it. And it has creative power 
according to the amount of absolute conviction and the impulse of love that is behind it. Love has a creative power according to that. Mind is that which is eternally self-conscious of itself, of its ability to do and accept the things that it wants, and whose one impulse is the impulse of love. That soul, which can love the greatest, will be the best healer. That soul, which can love the most powerfully, will be the one who can love most universally. The one who can take into consciousness the broadest, most powerful concept of life itself. Let us pray. We say that God is love, and I affirm that on this day. God truly is the love of the universe, creating the universe out of itself for that, that pure explosion of love, that, that pure contemplation of itself as love. This is God. This is that love that is present always in all forms, in all ways. And on this night, I claim it for myself. I recognize that God's love simply is my love. It takes the form of that fellow that I look in the mirror when I'm shaving in the morning. Of course, it takes the form of my friends and families and loved ones. It takes the form of the people right in this room. God has love as each one of us, yes. But most specially for each person in this room, I recognize that God is sitting in your seat right now. I recognize that love is there always. That we need look no further for our best friend than in the mirror. That our true partner in this life is, uh, is the one that's always sleeping with us at night, <laughs> even in a single bed. <laughs> this is love as me. This is love as each one of you. This is God in form as love. And so for this week and beyond, I, I know that there's a creativity at work here so that each person here can find even more wonderful ways to love themselves, that each person here can open their minds and their hearts to accepting the, just the unique qualities of power and joy and, and, and fabulousness that is at home in the human heart and the human mind, in your human heart, in your human mind. It's the truth of who each one of us is. Each one of us is love. And so it is with gratitude that I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. That, that law of cause and effect that we've talked about that always says yes, that always reflects back to us the love that we express. I just let it be. And together we say it. And so it is. Thank you so much for being here tonight. So glad you were here. Thank you so much.